Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 117, week 117, volume 117, number fucking 117. How you going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Adam of 12 Tribes, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick things off with single of the week. This week it comes from Aversion's Crown. The track is called Born in the Gutter. It is the second single the guys have released from their upcoming album, which is titled Hell Will Come For Us All, which sees its release June 12th on Nuclear Blast Records. Aversion's Crown are definitely one of my favourite deathcore bands going around. This track is everything I expect. It's savage, brutal, unbelievable pace. And the presence of evil is throughout. Love it. Dig it. Can't wait for this album to get released. That album, as I said, is titled Hell Will Come For Us All. The track is called Born In The Gutter. And the band, of course, is Aversion's Crown. There's no album of the week. It is a dead week for new releases. So we're going to skip that and we'll come back to it next week. Time for feedback, questions, what's been going on. Big thank you and shout out to everyone that's been sharing the show on their social medias and thank you to everyone that's been tuning in. Enough of the ramblings, enough of the jibber jabber, let's get into the main part of the show. This week I got to sit down with Adam of 12 Tribes. First thing I got to say, thank you very, very, very much dude for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Now, if you're unfamiliar with 12 Tribes, they formed around 1998 and disbanded in 2008. They have three albums and one EP to their name. They were a band that were basically ahead of the curve and before their time. They blended a bit of everything and anything. They're definitely a band I feel were underrated and underappreciated. I love them and still love them. Adam has also since gone on to do some other amazing things which you'll hear all about in this chat. I've been working on this conversation for a while. It took some time, but I got Adam on the show, so I'm very pumped that we were able to make it happen, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. That chat with Adam is coming up now. I usually start off with kind of the same question for everyone, which is, when you were growing up, um, was there a musician or an artist that first opened your ears to music existing. Now, I'm not talking heavy necessarily. Like, I know for me at the age of five or six, I don't know why, but I became really into Aerosmith. It was my Mm. thing. Um, Was there an artist for you growing up that opened this world of music? Absolutely. And it was Michael Jackson. Yeah. (laughs) You know, when I was probably about that same age, four to six, somewhere in there, I became obsessed with the Billie Jean video, with the Thriller video, obsessed to the point where I asked my mom to buy me penny loafers. My grandma made me a a glove, you know, the Michael Jackson glove with sequins. They made me this, you know, and I would sit in the the living room in front of the TV and dance and like do my best to impersonate Michael Jackson. That was, I think that's the first real influence that I was like, wow, there's, there's a person creating music and song and it's, and it's really hitting me. Like I, I feel it. You know, and I believe, you know, we'll get into this more, but, you know, God, uh, God, music 
is like a is like a soul connection. It is like a connection to God, and it and it really opened up that space inside of me at that time through Michael Jackson. So know? was that through? Was that because of TV? Like obviously TV with the music video, but yeah, MTV, MTV. Okay, so from there you find Michael Jackson. Now, do you then just become obsessed with him and only him, or do you start branching into some other musicians and other artists? Oh man, I branched. Uh, I branched out immediately after that, you know, so as I was getting older, I, I specifically remember seeing like hip hop on, on MTV and like NWA and two live crew and public enemy, like these kind of artists were creating videos. And I was like getting really into hip hop and getting really into like uh, rock music and grunge music. You know, I, I was probably 13 when the grunge scene really, emerged in the US. I was super into uh, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. Nine Inch Nails was actually my first big concert. Mm. Um, so so I would I would say there was this for me there was like a melting pot of all different genres. It wasn't really it wasn't really about categorizing anything at that time. It was just whatever like made me feel a certain way, whatever I was connecting to and and what I wanted to emulate. You know what I mean? So, so the, whatever would come through that I felt like, oh, I, I can connect to this. I could scream along or sing along with this. Those are the things that, that I really started to grab to, towards. And then just, you know, just to reel it back, you know, my mom was a big uh, Beatles fan. So we had, we had uh, vinyl records in the house and she would put on like a John Lennon, uh, John Lennon album or old Beatles records, old R&B. A lot of old R&B was played around my household. So uh, you know, I was around. I was around and exposed to a lot of music. I'm also the youngest of. Uh, I have a five-year-older brother, and my sister's 11 years older. So while I'm just coming online with music, you know, my sisters listen to Prince and the Depeche Mode, and my brother's like introducing me to all of this other underground hip hop. So I, I really had like, I really had some guides there to help me get into to to really dope music. Well, it seems you know anyone that without jumping too far forward, that knows the band 12 Tribes itself, saying it it came from a lot of diverse influences obviously was birthed from you from an early age because that band has a lot in itself. You can't just say it's hardcore punk metalcore. There is a lot in there. And do you think, you know, in hindsight, if you hadn't had such a unique upbringing with music in the house and discovery that maybe that band could have just been pigeonholed into one style. Yeah, I think that's very true. And it's also something I've kind of struggled with in the, in the, in regards to this 12 tribes was, was largely like a band's band. We got a lot of respect from the bands we toured with uh, from the, from the labels themselves, but we didn't necessarily connect with the main, I'm going to say mainstream, but the, the larger hardcore audience. Because I think we were a little, I think we were a little too far ahead, or we were a little too diverse in in the the sounds and the things that we were brave enough to bring through onto our records, and so I I, I did kind of struggle. Like, man, maybe we should just been a bit more cookie cutter and just played mosh riffs because then we could, you know, then we could sell out tours, right? Um, and instead, we chose to to take this route of of really like diving into the music. Uh, we could talk more about this, but you know, our, the way that we crafted songs, it it really did come from that diversity in our in our in our each of our musical tastes. Well, it's something you know. You look back on it at that time, um, 
you know, we'll, we'll come back to early stuff in a sec, but definitely got to say that at the time, a lot of bands didn't want to be diverse, as you said. You know, they kind of... Right. And it's, and, and it's not down-talking what they did, but a lot of people wanted to stick to the path, and that was it. Now you look at bands, and bands want to be diverse. They are aiming to be diverse. So in some right. ways, uh, it's a compliment of saying that you could kind of say 12 Tribes was doing things like Candira was, a bit ahead of the curve, um, kind of pushing the limits before limits were even thought about being pushed, which is yes. unique in itself. You know, Candiria was a band that we toured with. They were friends and they were a huge influence. And when I, when I talk about that kind of like the bravery to say, hey, we're going to try and make our own sound, that comes from bands like Candiria also paving that path. Mm. It comes from bands like Vision of Disorder paving that path. Um, yeah, yeah, I could, I could list quite a few bands that, 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 that I resonated with that I felt like they were really pushing the envelope of what was possible with heavy music. Mm. And I used to say we were like, we're a progressive hardcore band and yeah, a progressive hardcore band that was aggressive. Mm. <laughs> and I love, and I love that about, about what we were able to create. Now let's jump back. We'll come back to all the 12 tribe stuff. Mm -hmm. But, um, so, you know, music's obviously in the house. Um, you brother and sister are you know into music you're discovering your music and where in your path do you start kind of getting into more guitar driven stuff um more yeah. heavy stuff where where was your development and what was the key stepping stone for you know the future of your style with heavy music yeah i i it was a moment it was actually a, a day my brother had been going, he, my brother was straight edge, right? And so he had been going to these local hardcore shows. And uh, I was 13 years old at the time. And so he would have been 17, 18. So um, he's like, he's like, hey, man, you want to come to this show with me? It was on a weeknight, like at school the next day. You know, I was going to go to this hardcore show, which to me was like a, a mystery box. I had no idea what was going to happen. And so he takes me to this show. And like, I'm the youngest person there. And I, what happens is this local band, they were called Four Child uh, from Dayton, Ohio. They got on stage and this, this big dude with a, a shaved head, this guy gets on the mic and everyone was like focused on the mosh pit. They were all telling me, hey, you got to get in the mosh pit. This is how you mosh. This is what we do. And to me, I was looking at that guy with the mic and I was like, I want to do that. I, I, I was like, for something connected with me and I was like, I know I have this thing in me where I have the, I have like... Um, the passion and the voice to bring through in the lyrics. I was also like big into writing poetry at that time. And so when I saw this guy bring it through, I was like, I'm going to be on stage and I want to be the guy with the mic. That was, that was really what came through. I started a band, mind you, I'm 13 years old. I started a band two weeks later with other 13 year olds. It was called setback. It was my first band. Uh, and we, we played really terrible hardcore music for a couple of years. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I was like, I was, I was, I was so passionate about it. There was, there was just nothing else for me at that time. I was, it, what was also interesting is after I had seen that and been a part of that energy, that's when Rage, the Rage Against the Machine video came out for Freedom. I don't know if, you, if MTV was the same in Australia, but it was like late night, Headbangers Ball, and I saw Rage Against the Machine Freedom and Zach De La Roca. And I'm like, oh, it's, it started to connect the dots for me. Okay, 
now I see that this guy is bringing in his influence of hip hop, you know what I'm saying? And rapping over these heavy tracks. And it, it, that was just the time for me when I was like, oh, I was so passionate about, honestly, just about screaming and about, and about like screaming about what I, I was feeling at the time. Well, it's also, I mean, it's an interesting thing because, you know, Rage, everyone knows what Rage were singing about. And right. it's, it's also not just heavy, aggressive music, but it's music with a purpose and a message. Um, yes. And it's driven towards that. That also must have drawn you in that it wasn't just noise for the sake of noise. Yeah, I think that's when I, that's when I separated from like the alternative scene, going more into the hardcore, straight edge, Earth Crisis. Listen, reading Carl Buchner's lyrics on the back of Seven Inches changed my life. Like reading Carl's lyrics literally changed my perception of the world, you know? So, so when you say this music is more than, I mean, this music was really the catalyst for my personal development, you know, for, it was an outlet for all of the rage that, that all teenage teenagers go through. Right. But like having it focused on, like I was straight edge for a very long time, having it focused on straight edge vegetarianism, you know, political activism, this was, this was all really, uh, captivating for me at that time and you know it it's quite to say it's an understatement to say that you know metal or hardcore or punk is loud and families aren't necessarily um very welcoming of suddenly one of their children listening to this obnoxious um obscene music (laughs) so what was the family's reaction to not only that you're into this music but that you're starting to chase it with bands. Yeah, it was just a band as 13-year-olds, but you're starting to chase this thing. Yeah, I mean, I think the reaction was was largely positive. I mean, I I, I didn't get a lot of support. Like, nobody put a guitar in my hands from an early age. Um, I would say I was raised middle class. You know, there wasn't a lot of access for me to, like, like I didn't have I didn't have the money to to go buy musical equipment, but I joined a band where all I needed to do was show up with a mic, mm. and so this this was just my my path in, and and the guys had the equipment, and we we figured it out from there. But I you know I remember specifically my dad seeing me at the first show that I ever played uh, in Twelve Tribes that he was he attended, and he just said, "Man, I don't know what you're screaming about or who you're mad at, but it sounds good." It was like <laughs> it was like that, like like we don't understand it. But we can see that you're passionate about it. And, and now we're starting to tour. We're starting to travel the world with it. So there was, I didn't really have resistance in that way. Now, in those early, you know, early band, early years with your, with your voice, um, where were you trying to go with your voice? In, in a way, was, was there an influence that you were really driven towards? Or were you just trying to scream for the sake of screaming and whatever develops, develops? Because you look into your style along the way you have and it, it not blowing smoke but it, it is a unique style that was going on because you scream a bit you talk a bit you kind of yell there's, there's some lows there's highs was was that always what you wanted to do or did you just want to sound like person a yeah I, I definitely didn't have the intention to sound like any one person I've always kind of had a deeper voice and I always had an, a uh, an appreciation for the deep vocals, the guys that could really like, come on, like that energy. I have, I have that in me to this day. You know what I mean? So I guess I could, 
I could say like Mike from Brothers Keeper, mm-hmm. that really high pitched stuff. I I didn't I wasn't really attuned to that. I was I was into the the really low vocals and then the spoken word aspect. I think I initially, like I said, uh, attribute that to like Zach De La Roca, but like going forward from that, there was there was just something that that was so aligned with hardcore and having some spoken word. I'm trying to think of of some bands who really opened that up for me. Maybe you know. I mean, could I just tell you my favorite vocalist? Is that is that okay? Yeah. In, in terms of this scene, number one, Scott Angelakis, Bloodlet. Yeah, yeah. I also got, had the pleasure of touring with Bloodlet when they released their Victory album, and I had the the opportunity to to share with Scott like how big of an influence his lyrics and his vocal delivery, which is also super unique to him, uh, how big of an impact it had on me. He was one of the guys where I was like, oh, we don't just have to write lyrics about things in a simple way we can write it in a very complex way and people will resonate with it because life is complex life is not cookie cutter so so scott opened my eyes to like this new way of of writing and 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 like kind of having vocal patterns um i I already said carl from earth crisis huge influence i mean you know honestly the the victory catalog you know at that time that was that was what was was really hitting uh so snapcase um, and then just beyond that, you know, like I- I'll say this, Howard Jones from Killswitch Engage, he's from, we're from the same hometown. So when I'm talking about these old small hardcore shows we used to go to, him and I would be at the same shows and hanging out. And so Howard, just as a person, uh, he had a big impact on, on me, you know, just personally, but also like vocally, you know, Howard's one of these guys, he's got the biggest voice. He had the the background of singing in churches and things like that. And so what he brought online for me was this thing like there's no limit to where you can take your voice mm. if it's if it's true to you, if it's really there. Mm. So I'd say Howard was a big influence. Um, and from his earlier bands, not from not from Killswitch, yeah, uh, Blood, Blood Has Been, been Shed. shed. Yeah. yeah. And it goes yeah. back. I can't. Um, the name of the band is uh, slipping me right now, but he had a band before that that was just kind of like a local band. So. Um, yeah, for me, the, the vocals were like, it's, it's more about finding where my pocket is and not trying to emulate what someone else is doing. So what about um, your development with technique and learning to scream? Because uh, for everyone listening, there was a time before YouTube existed. Um, <laughs> I, I, re- I remember it. And, you know, l- back in those days, if you wanted to scream, you didn't have this amazing wealth of knowledge and that they now do, which is DVDs and online tutorials so where did you go and how did you develop the ability to screen because not everyone can do it but how did you do it honestly it's all trial and error i'd say for the the first couple of years i was blowing my voice out at you know after shows or or after weekend little tours you know it's it's really it was really for me at that time about like like pushing it to my to my edge finding where my edge was and then going okay here I can pull back a little bit so I don't blow my voice out. Um, there was absolutely no tutorial. There was no Melissa, Melissa Cross uh, vocal, co- yeah. Melissa Cross vocal coaches. There was even even the guys that were doing it weren't really talking to each other about it. They're just doing it, right? And so, I think I was I was given an appropriate amount of time in my in my earlier bands to really find where the edge of my vocals could be you know, where that, where that range was. And, you know, for, for me, like 
transitioning to going on tours and, and, and doing it for months at a time. Some of the biggest pieces for me were around like not talking a lot after shows because what would happen is I'd, I'd have a set and it'd be great. Then I go want to talk to everybody at the merch table and, and it's still loud in the club or whatever. So you're like really straining to talk. So like having some mindful practices around like not stretching the voice after shows was, was really huge. Um, but yeah, man, I just, I went through it. I found it. I figured it out. I never, I was, I was kind of a workhorse in that way. I was not one of the guys that would lose his voice on tour. Like I was, I was very proud of that fact. Like, like I can hold it. <laughs> and it, it, that's that's the way to be i mean now you know it's probably very unique for a band i to... also i also want to say man there was no in-ear monitors no. there was no auto-tune none of that shit no, no. <laughs> we we are talking you know it is quite strange to say but these the, this time period now is very must seem to the younger generation archaic because of these things yeah you know, it really was a different you know even the way you discovered music was a whole different thing um High school, you know, you got this band going, you're kind of developing your passion in a way, I'd say, starting a mission statement, maybe in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, where are you going with high school, though, um, as your life? Are you looking at music as your path or are you looking at something else as a path? Because not everyone in school thinks music's it, that's it, forget everything else. So where were you in high school? Yeah, you know that my first band setback. You know, I, I we started it early, early in high school, and then I'd say by sixteen that band was done. And we had like a we had like that was my first breakup as a band. You know what I mean? And that's in a, in a small scene like where I come from in Dayton, Ohio. There's only so many players to create bands with. So it was like we split up. Some of the guys started other bands, and I was like, oh, okay. I guess I guess I'm just gonna go skateboard. You know what I mean? And Honestly, in, if I was to really look back from my high school lens, I thought I would either be a professional skateboarder, a writer slash author. Like I was really passionate about writing, as I said. And, I, and those two things were kind of getting me through in art. I was, do, I was also writing graffiti, you know, going around town, putting up bombs and tags and all that. And so, yeah, it was, it's interesting to think about that lens. There's, there wasn't this thing like I'm going to go be in a band and tour the world until that guitar player from from setback his other band kind of fell apart we rekindled our relationship and he's like hey i want to start another band shout out to matt tackett and like i want this to be the one i want this i want to like really take this and i was like honestly it was i I think i had been crushed from the breakup of my early band and i was like waiting for an invitation back and so when him and i started 12 tribes i was like okay this is like this is going to be the one. I'm going to pour everything I got into this band, and that of course became Twelve Tribes, and that became Twelve Tribes. And and you know our first, let's see, Feathers to Flowers, probably came out in '99. Um, let me double '98, '99. Yeah, so that came out in '99. So I graduated high school in '98. Wow. Okay. So I didn't realize that was literally just. So we're, I'm, I'm 39. So we're similar age. Yeah. I'm, I'm 38 this year. So yeah. Um, nice. So that, that was literally right out of high school. Um, yeah. That's quite crazy. But, you know, there were demos before that, weren't there? Yeah. 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 So let's see. We have a demo from 97 and 98. 
and those were just those are tapes, you know. Yeah, one was called. Uh, yeah, I always do my homework. Uh, one was wow. called uh, "Wake Waking Kills the Dream," and one was two cleft tongues. Yeah, so two cleft tongues is a Twelve Tribes demo. Waking Kills the Dream is a, is the other band that is my it? guitar player was 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 in. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, listening, it's the first time you've heard me do something wrong. So everyone, note that down. <laughs> You won't catch me again. Um, but but I'll, I'll tell you why you're not so wrong is that I, I titled that that record for them. Uh, it was called Chasing Angels, I believe, mm. or, uh, and Waking Kills a Dream. Like I was, you know, we're, we're all part of the same crew. So, you know, first question about getting into the 12 Tribes thing is why call the band 12 Tribes? Because it is a very, as soon as you've called it that, um, and it's not a negative thing to say, is you've kind of marked a flag there with what the band's yeah. going to be. It's straight away saying there's something about this that is going to be noticeable. Um, mm. So why that name? And did you... I know down the down the track you did second-guess changing the name. but We did, yeah. But did you think at the time 12 Tribes was the only option for a name? You know... I was so stoked on the name 12 tribes when we, when I thought of it and presented it to the guys, uh, again, bloodlet being a huge example. There's a song, man, I can't pull up the name of the song, but there's a line that goes, um, like 12,000 war sail. I stand alone breathing time. So, so there's a, there's a bloodlet line where he talks about uh, 144,000, 12 tribes were sealed. I stand alone breathing time. I have to go back to really bring that line through. But that was like, at the same time when I was learning about the actual 12 tribes in a religion class that I was in in high school. And then Wu-Tang came out with a record and the RZA was saying, 12 tribes, 144,000 chosen, protons, electrons always cause explosions. So I had all these signs saying 12 tribes 12 tribes and you know my version of 12 tribes is that we all come from one source all the all the people on the earth were all of one one family one spirit oneness that was that was like really the intention i had bringing that name to our band it wasn't like to be to be religious or to be stoking um <clears throat> either judaism or christianity it was about this concept of oneness and that the 12 tribes would 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 to would go out and like spread on the earth and yeah that was my initial take with it and i didn't really realize what that would do for the reflections of our music because i think what you're speaking to is some of the kids in the hardcore scene when you're listening to bands like from autumn to ashes or misery signals or you know or even poison the well some of these more uh, poetic names those were what kids in our scene were clinging to mm. and so I, I i i still feel like 12 tribes the name to this day um you know it, it, it i think it kept us kind of on the edge of the scene and and kids weren't as willing to like dive in with us and that that might be a projection i don't know but i i, I had felt some of that and that's why that's why we had we had thought of changing the name when we signed to ferret yeah which you know let's touch on that now while we're there i mean was that whole idea because of what you said? You were worried that the name was holding people back or was it a chance that you maybe thought 
look, let's start fresh because changing a name yeah. of a band is a big idea. Like it's a big step. Right. Yeah. It, it was a big start fresh. We had a brand new guitar player. We had a brand new drummer for both of those ferret albums. And so I guess we were in the space of like, we got signed because we were 12 tribes. We got signed because we put a demo out. Carl from ferret literally called me. He was on, he was on the, on tour traveling with Nora and he goes, he goes, Hey Adam, I just got to tell you, we got a six disc CD changer in the van. Every time your demo comes on, I keep asking who is this band? And they tell me 12 tribes and he would say 12 tribes. No, like, that's this, like, he, he couldn't, he, like, this new music that we were creating, he wouldn't, he couldn't associate it with 12 Tribes. So he was, he was kind of like, hey, I want to sign you guys. This music's so fucking good. And maybe consider changing the name, mm. you know? <laughs> okay. Well. So, so that's where that, com- that's where the, the initial conversation started. And so we went down that path. We thought of a new name. It was not a great name. It was wasn't, almost as if wasn't it the prodigal, universe conspired. It was Prodigal Zoo, wasn't it? Prodigal Zoo, yeah. Yeah. We were gonna yeah, yeah. I don't know about that name. Story. Stick, I'm, glad, story. I'm glad Twelve Drives was stuck with. Like <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's funny. Names are names are like super important and also not that important at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Meaning like if the music is good enough, you can have a name like the Foo Fighters and people will fucking love your music. Mm. Right. Mm. But uh, yeah, so, so I think, I think uh, our local scene and people who were really connected to us as individuals and knew us as 12 tribes, they were like, Hey, asking the same question, what's the motivation here? And so ultimately I came back to Carl. I said, yo, we want to sign and we want to continue as 12 tribes. And he was like, I fully respect it. Oh, I'm glad you did, man. Um, <laughs> Me too. Let's jump back into the, you know, the first two things I've got here, which is um, As Feathers to Flowers and Petals to Wings, which is a mouthful. Um, it's a mouthful. And in Instruments, which is technically an EP. Um, those early years of the band with those releases, um, what was it like for you getting out to audiences? Did you find that you were getting some groundswell or was a lot of it always pushing uphill because as you said you know you kind of the the name did one thing but then was the message being accepted was the style being accepted i know the style on those is a little different to what the albums were but you know just in general what were the early years like for you as in the band yeah you know the the scene in dayton ohio was really potent there was a there were so many bands um that would come through Dayton, but that were also starting to form in Dayton. So we had like a really big straight edge, hardcore influence. Um, And then there was something happened where this influence of just melodic music and, and some of that more droning stuff, you know, that started to, 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 to filter into our scene. So even some of those like heavier straight edge bands were, were starting to introduce more melody and more, um, I, I don't know, more cadence, more polyrhythms, things like that. So so I think, again, we were just like, we're kind of a product of that scene. And I'll just tell you from our standpoint, and, and maybe uh, other guys and bands can relate, but our sole goal was to headline at our hometown venue. Like, we're like, if we play a show at Rebo's and we headline, that's the goal. So then you do that one or two times, and then the goal go, becomes... Oh man, if we could go to another city and do that, 
that would be really cool. Let's go to let's go to Cleveland, Erie, Pennsylvania, and then back to Dayton, and that'll be like a little weekend tour. So we do that, and you know, this is pre, uh, largely pre-internet. You know, in terms of like utilizing the internet for uh, making these connections, but you know, we're on the phone, we're calling bands up from the phone number on the back of their demos. Can we come play in your town? You know, this is this was the time for that. Um, and so from from those little weekend tours, it became can we go on a tour with a band like blood has been shed um who, who else was there in those really early days i have to come back to that but reaching out to bands and saying can we put a little three-week tour together and go out and that was really our primary means for getting the music out for getting the message in out and for getting people to go oh 12 tribes they're that band with that dude with long dreads who headbangs all the time you know <laughs> that, that that's what 12 tribes became for people like oh you know they're this band who plays this really uh, chaotic, aggressive, powerful music, and their lead singer headbangs with his dreads. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it was kind of as simple as that. So then we started, you know, making a name for ourselves in the U.S. And then it's like, as we as we put out those those two records you're referring to, we we were only touring in the states during those times. But as we got the fair, then it becomes, oh, well, now we want to tour Europe. Now we want to headline Europe. So the 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 target was kept moving as we would achieve these these goals step by step yeah i think you know i remember hearing about you guys around instruments i don't remember why that's when i first heard the name but i didn't really get an album until rebirth um you know Correct. you get into ferret and you know you're now on a, on a label and your tours are getting bigger um you're getting kind of bit of groundswell behind the band um that rebirth of tragedy album where is it let's have a look which i love the artwork um how how was it like for you guys going into that album creating it was there a sense of pressure and expectation that you needed to really knock it out of the park because i think some people don't realize that internally as a band Getting signed is one thing that adds a little bit of pressure and expectation. Um, but then getting that album out adds another layer of pressure and expectation. So where were you guys at internally for that release? I know you also mentioned some lineup changes as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I can tell you exactly where we were. And this is uh, this is some backstory to the album, The Rebirth of Tragedy. We got signed we had done these demos in a basement with a, a friend of ours recording. And this was, this was early pro tools. Uh, so we went into the basement, we recorded that exact album minus a couple songs. We, we sent it to ferret and Carl goes, no, like this isn't going to cut it. Whoa. The recording was God awful, truly. <laughs> and so he says, come out to New Jersey. Let's put you in a real studio with a real producer. And like, let's, let's have these songs. Cause he, he was, this was a good thing for us. He was, he was so stoked on the music that he was not willing for the recording to be the thing to hold it back. And so even though it was a blow to the ego and we thought we had just laid down this, this amazing record, the, the recording was shit. And <laughs> honestly, back then there was a lot of shit recordings, you know? Mm. So, so we went to New Jersey, we recorded the record, um, uh, what's his last name? 
can't remember the last name. His name is Eric. He's he's produced everything from Nora to Misery Signals, um, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Eric Rachel, or yes, Eric, yeah. yeah, Eric Rachel, yeah, 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 yeah. And so we we went back and and by that time we had added a couple of tracks to the to the lineup uh, to that particular album and and we rocked it. Did so it, did so that, that so so that's how that particular recording came to be. Did it go as well reception wise as you wanted? I mean, everyone wants their album. I mean, that's a it is a bit of a silly question because everyone wants their album so, to blow up. But I mean, so no, the answer is no. It didn't. <laughs> we at that time we were we were best friends. Like we would tour a lot with this band, Poison the Well, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Poison Well. I'm a big fan of Jeffrey as a human being and Derek, who has gone on to do other really amazing musical endeavors. Um, and all those guys, Ryan, Chris. And so what you have to understand is the opposite of December comes out. Mm. Okay. And then about like six months later, the rebirth of tragedy comes out. And so like, I'm so stoked for Poison the Well. We were, we were, we were playing these small shows together. You know, and, and being kind of like seen as equals, we would we would co-headline and switch who was headlining. In the opposite of December, because it's such a magical record and because it came at the perfect time and because those songs are so fucking powerful, they just started blowing up. And so where we were on Ferret and we were stoked for our, we're like, we're, that's going to happen for us too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is where it's going to go. And so I would say we get to Hellfest 2000 the year 2000 Hellfest is in uh it was in Syracuse New York at that time and Poison the Well is in a headliner spot around like 7 8 p.m and we're like on a four o'clock spot yeah you know we're like yeah. we're thrown in we're thrown in with with the, the rest of the bands and that's we were stoked to be there and stoked to play but we started to see that separation and so what I would say is when we recorded that album hardcore was in a different place there wasn't talk of charts there wasn't mm-hmm. talk of like a hundred thousand records sold there was like we're gonna sell ten ten thousand records that's what that's what hardcore bands were doing and then so we had this direct uh this direct uh example of this band poison the well taking off right in front of our eyes and we were kind of left not i don't want to say left but we were kind of still playing this game of being a hardcore band while they were they were flirting with the mainstream and with hot topic and and going on their rise so 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 there, there was a there was a real shift that was happening in hardcore. It, it was happening with Hatebreed as well. We're like, wow, mm-hmm. Hatebreed's really getting this mainstream attention, and there's this whole slew of of bands playing underground hardcore music, and we're not even getting a taste of what those record sales were. Well, it's not just the record, or what sales. the impact it was, is. It was quite, yeah, the impact. Yeah, it was quite a weird time. You know, you I remember the time. You know, and you, you obviously do as well because we both lived through it. But it was the time when you know, you came into the birth and death of new metal. Then we started to see this birth of hardcore and melodic hardcore and metalcore started to really start to boom and take off. And it wasn't just sales, but it was also the tours got bigger and bigger and bigger. And bands out of nowhere would be bigger than you can imagine, like you said, like Poison the Well. But you guys, it always seemed like which you mentioned earlier, so it's kind of a time to start bringing it in, I think, is you're a band that everyone thanked in the thank notes. You're a band that, (laughs) 
And it's not, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not pissing on your leg, but it is. No, it's exactly right. It it's was. exactly right. But nobody, you know, if you mentioned 12 Tribes to someone who was into, you know, let's just throw one of the bands out there, Killswitch or right. um, God Forbid or Shadows Fall, and you said these bands and then you said, oh, you know, you heard of 12 Tribes, they'd be like, nah. No. Yeah, totally. But that's that's confusing because... Musically, what you were doing was on par and in some parts better. So I don't understand why. Thank you so much for saying that, man. <laughs> I mean it, man. Like, I appreciate that. I wouldn't have all four CDs still if I thought it was really shit. It would be propping up my coffee table. Um, <laughs> but it, it was strange. What do you think, you know, looking back on it, was it the music, like as in the time yeah. signatures? Do you think that's what held back? Because the in saying that, there were bands like Converge booming, Dillinger, Escape Plan booming, you know, Meshuggah was starting to take off. Bands could do time signature stuff. Why didn't yeah. you guys take off? You know, I've had a lot of time to reflect on that, I guess. So I, I'll just I'll just say what's most real for me now. Um I believe that we musically Gosh, like when I say we were a band's band, we would be on tour with Misery Signals or with Kill Switch, and they would be giving us so many props, and then they would sell three times the amount of merch, mm. or they would sell three times the amount of records, right? And I think what was happening was we were so into like creating these albums with polyrhythms, and we were doing like uh, like uh, like uh, uh, five eighths time signature, like on on a couple of these tracks. And when in doing that, we were creating something we were really excited about and we thought could like progress the sound of the scene that we came out of. But what ended up happening is the guys that were in the mosh pit that were waiting for the dun dun jigga dun 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 jigga dun dun dun. We just we didn't give them that. And there was a bit of like like they wanted it and we just we refused to give it to them on that level. You know, and that, and these were the bands we were touring, and even saying like Poison the Well, Poison the Well delivers on so many levels, mm. like the melodies, the breakdowns. They did it in a very smart and like effective way. And I would say like a band like Can Candiria coming out of New York, having that New York essence, everyone was able to go, oh well, they're from New York, and they're like laying it down. For Twelve Tribes, our identity never really, never really landed. It's like our identity was we're from Dayton, Ohio. No one knows where that shit is. We're playing this. We're playing this offshoot, progressive hardcore. It wasn't really landing in real time with what was being asked for. Mm. And so, for that reason, I feel like the bands, the, the players, uh, those guys really got us, and they they accepted and and were uh, stoked with what we were creating. But at the same time, the audience was just like, give us that goddamn breakdown so we can dance. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, it, is, and it is. And there's a part of me, there's a part of me that wonders like, man, maybe we should have simplified some of this stuff and, um, and we could have, we could have reached a, a different level. And at the same time, I'm so glad that we had the integrity even at that time to just say, Hey, this is like what we want to make. We, we played the biggest shows possible. We ended up touring with Killswitch Engage through the UK. We toured with Poison the Well. We toured with 36 Crazy Fists all over Europe. You know, we really were able to experience um, everything that we could have hoped to as a band and still maintain uh, the integrity of making the music that we felt coming through. 
Well, I think, you know, you're probably right in some sense, you know, the, you know, that was the time everyone wanted the big breakdowns, you know, everyone knows Endless by Unearth as an example, like, you know, that song just skyrocketed that band, but you guys still had stuff going on, you know, um, yeah, Venus Complex. I mean, yeah, was was a track that really delivered on the melodic tip and was super heavy throughout, and was not it was not a simple song by any means in terms of like the riffs, the lyrics, the everything. It was a complex song that did land with people, and you know we were on some compilations like the Headbangers Ball two compilation. Yeah. So I think Venus Complex was one of those gateway songs for us where for people started to take note, and they then they then then people were able to say, oh yeah, you know, 12 Tribes, they are like Kill Switch, or they can be on a stage with Lamb of God, right? Um, and that was one of those songs that was that captured the essence of what we were doing in a way that translated. Um, but, you know, I, I, guess, I guess in the end of the day, I really, couldn't, I really couldn't pinpoint one thing other than to say, we didn't come out with that, that hit that made everyone go, yes, this band is good now and everything they make from here on out, I'm going to be interested in. Uh, Venus Complex was probably the closest that we came to that. Yeah, you'd say that in a way you guys were an underground band and kind of in a way remained um, an underground underground band despite the fact that you did, you know, support slots, headline shows, label, everything, um, which, you know, as someone that was into the band, um, I get very into the bands and you get really frustrated when the band's not getting getting what it deserves. Um, and I remember you guys, you know, the last release, Midwest Pandemic 2006. Um, Interesting now that we're in these times of a, a, a true pandemic. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the interesting thing with these two releases also, these ferret releases, was also the, you know, I'll jump back to that, is... Do you think also what you were singing about maybe stopped people really wanting to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and that goes along with what I'm saying about simplifying the music. So as, as I'm saying, like giving them the breakdown, we weren't also giving the big sing-alongs. You know, we didn't we didn't always deliver like, okay, here's the part where everyone's going to sing along. And, and you know, that, that really rooted in me from uh, my passion for Bloodlet and for what Scott was doing. So when I would see Bloodlet, I would sing every single word, regardless of pattern, pitch. There was there was no breakdowns in that music. There was no like big sing-alongs. The whole thing was a sing-along. And so for me, when I was writing, I'm like, I'm just gonna I'm gonna write these words however they come and scream them and and not make it some cookie cutter thing with the expectation that everyone was like me. But that's not the reality. <laughs> Everyone doesn't go as deep on lyrics and on vocal patterns as as I perhaps did. And so, um, yeah, there was. I think I think that's a, a piece of it too. The the let's see the subjects of what we were talking about largely was the same as as what other bands were were singing and 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 writing about. I don't think it's as much the subject matter uh, or the complexity of the words as just giving the let's go. Boom, boom, ticka, ticka, boom, boom. <laughs> it is. You're probably right there. You know, the, you know, it's not just that, but, you know, you listen to the song and I don't think when you listen to the song, any song, you think, oh, he's singing about heartache. Um, you know, uh, that might be part of it as well. That, that album, yeah. Midwest Pandemic, 
you know, I'm looking at the sticker that, you know, I, I still, I used to keep the stickers um, that used to come wow. on the cling wrap. Um, and, <laughs> and it says here, uh, the newest in a line of amazing releases from Ohio's 12 tribes, heavier and more punishing than their previous efforts. Uh, pandemic sees the band reaching new levels of creativity, destined for your top 10 of 2006. Wow. I felt like, like that record would be the, I felt that, I felt that record would have been a top 10 hardcore release of 2006. Well, the, the three bands it says for fans of, uh, are three bands that you guys should have been up there with. It's got Killswitch, Shadows Fall, As I Dying. Now, um, totally. now what happened with that release? You know, you said in there, you thought it would be, did, did, did that fall flat, like more than the Rebirth? Or was it on the same level of it, not so, getting accepted? So we would have to go back to the conditions of 2006. Mm-hmm. And what, what I mean by that is uh, right around that time, uh, what's the what's the, uh, da- the music downloading, like LimeWire? But Napster. Napster. Napster was like at its peak, okay? And so there was this big emphasis on on units, on selling records. And those bands that we were listed with, they had already broken through to the mainstream at that time. So those guys were still selling records. Um, Ferret at that time was kind of uh, starting to decline in terms of sales because of all the, all the ripped music that was out there. And so there was a big emphasis on like going out, going on tour and selling records. And um, for our part, we did that. We, we, we put a lot of time in on the road and touring and traveling Europe, like, I think we we eventually did six European tours, and and by the way, like our biggest market and our our best shows ended up being in Europe after after all was said and done, and um and also in in Dayton, Ohio, you know where we're from. But um, there was there was just something there was an air at that time like no one knew where the music industry was going. Uh, it didn't seem like the band at that time our band was going to be pushed in the way to to put us on that same level. Even though I'm saying Venus Complex was on Headbangers Ball, we were actually on with Jamie Josta. You know, we we had some great opportunities to be there, and for whatever reason, Twelve Tribes still to this day is not necessarily thought of in the same uh, light as some of those bands that you mentioned. And and so what resulted is as as what was a result of that was that our guitar player, Andy Corpus, who was uh, an original member. Um, in 2007, he had proposed to his then-girlfriend. They got pregnant with a baby unexpectedly. And, he, you know, he called me one day, hey, man, I got I to gotta tell you something. Like, Megan's pregnant. I got to, you know, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> it was it was one of those type of moments. We were late twenties at that time. I was twenty seven in two thousand seven. So, and so when he told me that, it was just like, okay, what are we going to do here? So we 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 did our last tour as a four piece without Andy, and then we basically called it quits after that. So we really we really only toured on that record for a solid, I'd say a solid year. That's that's like the push that we gave it. But then after that, we weren't touring. We weren't writing in the next record, which ah. Uh, I guess if I was to have any regrets, it would be like, fuck, I just want one more chance to write a 12 tribes record, you know, because knowing everything that we're speaking to and no, and seeing where music has come, you know, in, in this time from 2007 to now, I would, I would love to get back in and drop another 12 tribes album. Well, <laughs> you can just, you know, you can see the trajectory the band was going on 
You can only right. imagine what the third, uh, yeah, I would say major label release would have been. The, right. When you guys stopped, though, that, you know, it's like a two-part question. First off, it kind of felt like you guys didn't even um, say anything. You just kind of stepped back, just kind of, you know, went into yeah. the shadows um, why do it that way? And the second kind of question in this is previously when you had that band in high school, you know, you said that when that broke up, you were kind of like, well, I guess that's it. Did, was that the same thing that went through your mind when t- 12 mm. tribes said it? Did you just kind of go, well, I guess that is it. Or did you at all think, nah, I can't let my, I can't let this die. I need to pursue with it. Man, that's a great question. So the first part of the question, I would say the reason that we didn't come out with an official statement or, 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 you know, at that time, I think on, on lamb goat, were you on lamb goat back then? The thing to do would be, Hey, 12 tribes calls it quits. Here's our letter. Here's why. Thank you to everyone that we've ever, you know, encountered during this journey. And we actually didn't do that. I think the reason was, on my part, I had held out some hope that maybe we would get we would get it together and figure it out and, and write a new record. And so I was okay to be on like hiatus personally. And yeah, kind of what happened was um, that that wasn't really coming together. I decided to pack up. I moved to San Diego, California at that time from Dayton. Uh, the other guys started some other kind of like like Southern rock band. So like the thing you have to also realize about hardcore music is it's a young man's game. Mm. So as I'm approaching 30 and saying to myself, do I want to be screaming on stage for gas money or for, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> for 150 bucks to, to play a show? You know, it was, it was more at times, obviously, but it's like the, the story in my mind is like, okay, this is the closing of a chapter. And so when I moved to San Diego, I did a couple guest vocal spots with uh, It Prevails with 36 Crazy Fists. So I would, I would get this, this fill of like going to Alaska and get in the studio with Brock and lay down some vocals together and help doing some ghostwriting. And, and with It Prevails, the same thing. Like that would fill this need in me to, to get out and express myself in that way. And I, like I just, it just never connected again for me in terms of having a group of guys to start a band with. Um, and at the, the 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 height that we had achieved, I wasn't really necessarily ready to to rebuild from the ground floor either. You know, energetically, it takes a lot to get a band together to to find a label to really get a push going. And I've seen that with other guys as well. It's just it's it's uh, I'm saying it's a young man's game, but it's also about timing and about like like really hitting the energy of the time what 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 people are craving. And so at this point. Um, I don't, I don't see myself doing another hardcore project, although I have a vision of myself making music uh, and it, it kind of like coming up here in, in the next few years. But it most likely won't be hardcore music. Well, I'm excited for whatever that is. Um, <laughs> that, that, was like a, that was like a subtle tease of something maybe eventually. Um, something it, maybe eventually. <laughs> yeah, something maybe, might not, maybe. Um, maybe. It, it, an interesting thing you said in there is that you are right that also with the um, kind of 
the determination, the young man's game and all of this stuff. The other thing that's also going to be going through your head is the sacrifices that you make in your late teens, early 20s are in some ways easy to justify at that age. Now, Correct. those sacrifices are financial, life, uh, touring all the time, you know, giving relationship, relationships, missing out on weddings, family events, all of this stuff. Ab- absolutely. And then obviously when you get a bit older, you know, everyone goes through it. You get a bit older, you start reflecting a bit more, you about start thinking about your life a bit more, thinking about yourself a bit more. And obviously that would have also played a part. Surely you were like, look, 27, nearly 30. Do I want to keep missing friends' birthdays? Um, you know, missing funerals, weddings. Uh, do I still want to yeah. sleep in a van with four or five other smelly dudes? Um, yeah. 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 And I, I remember having this very specific thought uh, on tour. We were on tour in the US. We were in a 15 passenger van with all of our stuff in a trailer. And it was like a Sunday. We're in some some town very far away. And I was just like, God, it's it's a Sunday. Like, I just want to be at home. I want to make my own eggs. I want to make a breakfast for myself, sit down and chill. But instead, I'm like, you know, we're, we're pumping gas. We're hauling ass to get to the next venue, unpack the merch, set it up, play the show, break it down, shake hands, say what's up to our friends, put it back in the van and do the same thing on the Monday. And there was, there was, a, there was a bit of a life pacing um, thing that happened for me where I was like, you know, I think, I think it is time to to hang it up and you know I would say of the things that I miss the touring aspect is not actually what I miss or was missing out on it was the camaraderie it was the songwriting it was it was those five guys being in the studio it was us five practicing and you know we would hear we would hear the beauty in the music before anyone else would obviously so we're creating it and just us five smiling when we knew we had like such a dope riff like that, that sense of camaraderie, and I would say the camaraderie with the other bands that we would tour with, like that's the essence of the hardcore movement that I really, really love and have the most respect for. And that's, that's, I would say that's what I miss the most of that. And, and, you know, the touring and, you know, trying to get by and all that, it was such a, uh, um, there were so many lessons in those experiences, but that's, that's not the part I miss. Well, I mean, something that you can always tip your cap to, apart from where places you got to tour and see the world, obviously, is one thing. But also, your music, um, thanks to the modern age of streaming services, lives on, um, no matter what. Um, Your music is there, you know, it's on YouTube, it's on Spotify, it's on iTunes, things like this. And that's something that no one can ever take away from you, is your music is always there. Not everyone gets that. Absolutely. Not everyone gets to yeah. do that. You know, some people, you know, they get they they want to release an EP, but they never quite achieve it. So you know, you did three albums and an EP. I mean, yeah, yeah. We had like we had some amazing a, 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 uh, achievements, especially coming from that place that I was speaking to, which was just five kids in Dayton wanting to play at their favorite venue. If I if I think of it from that aspect, like I go back and go fuck man like i achieved everything i could have possibly dreamed of with the band called 12 tribes i'm just forever <laughs> bummed that you know it didn't get another album that it didn't quite you know 
get to the echelons it deserved. But I've yeah, always- and that's been the story with our with our fans. You know, we do have a, a ton of people who who love Twelve Tribes. I get hit up quite often just for people wanting to give me a bit of respect, saying like, "Hey, man, I still listen to this album," and I largely reply, "I still do too." I love that band. I love that music. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, this all happens. You end. It's, you know, you go back to or start life again in many ways. Now, yeah, I, yeah. I know personally kind of where the trajectory has gone since, but I'd love to um, talk about what's happened since and where life has taken you since. And, um, it's interesting that, you know, you stop music or music stops. Sorry, it's probably the proper phrase. Then you now um, are on this kind of different path um, in many ways. You're now um, got Sacred Sons going, uh, which I'd love you to talk about, obviously, to everyone with what that is. But also yep. you're heavily geared towards, I'm trying to think of the right phrase, Enlightenment. Spirituality. Yeah. Spirituality, enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, man. So how, first question, how did this all come about? And then also what is Sacred Sons? Yeah. So, you know, spirituality has always been a part of my embodiment. As Adam Jackson on this planet, I can even recall those times like in those early days with the guys like having a spiritual component to it. You know what I mean? And I wrote about it quite often. I speak a lot about God and different things in the 12 tribes lyrics. And so what happened after 12 tribes is I, I lost a big piece of my identity, I would say. And so I was trying, I was kind of opening up to the world and to the cosmos and, and like trying to understand more about who I am and trying to come more into self-awareness, self-knowledge. And, you know, that path brought me oh to things like yoga to things like um like breath work and intentions and mindfulness right so like some some basic concepts and you have to understand i was i was straight edge until i was 31 years old so yeah and i wasn't like very vocal about it. i wasn't like so super militant i was just i didn't do drugs or alcohol and i was i was a part of this straight edge culture and so what happened for me is I started hearing about plant medicines and I started, you know, l- listen, I had friends taking all kinds of drugs when I was a, when I was a teenager in my twenties, I stayed away from it. And so I approached, I approached this kind of medicine path. I started sitting in sweat lodges. You know, this is this, I was started sitting in like uh, deep intentional ceremonial spaces that were allowing me to become a better human being, you know? That's that's ultimately what I'm what my path has kind of set me on. So I was sitting in sweat lodge, and then I would sit in like a little mushroom ceremony. And I, you know, I've moved to California, so all this shit opened up for me. <laughs> and you know, I I gave up the identity of myself being someone who was straight edge, and I started exploring plant medicines, ceremonial work. Um, ayahuasca came online uh, about five years ago for me. So I had been sitting with uh, ayahuasca and and really just accessing new realms of possibility to the human experience. And so for me, where that ultimately led was to Sacred Sons. It's kind of interesting, 12 tribes, Sacred Sons. <laughs> it's, all, it's all kind of the same vibe in a way. But Sacred Sons 
uh, is an organization we do men's work or masculine alchemy. And so what that means is, you know, there's a lot of men out here in this world on their path who didn't have mentors, who didn't have a father present, who didn't have uh, even a good brother to like really lean on and to get not only advice, but just to get like vital connection from. And this is something that I had in within the hardcore scene. You know what I mean? Like there was, there was real friendships, real connections. Um, my father was also uh, absent. You know, it was like a every other weekend type of kid. You know, my parents were divorced very early. And so my spiritual path really brought me to this, this masculine alchemy, this men's work um, concept. And so I was approached by a good brother of mine who I've sat in ceremony with. And he's like, hey, you know, the men out there in the world, they really need this medicine right now. Like, what do you think if we join forces and, and create something for them? And I was like, men's work. I'm like, that's like what 50-year-old white dudes do. You know, like, I'm like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, like I'm not interested in doing that. Hmm. And so I sat with it. And what came to me was like, like no, I'm, I'm actually the perfect person to bring this through. And if I'm going to bring it through, I'm, number one, I'm going to make it cool. Hmm. I'm going to make it accessible to all men. I'm going to make it diverse. I'm going to bring the same energy and passion that I would bring to 12 tribes to it. Like we, we involve, we involve so much breath work, vocal activation, screaming, chanting, uh, even like, um, ritual chant and dance, which, which is, I gotta tell you like moshing and all that, all the stuff that we were doing as kids, it really comes into play in our adult embodiment because a lot of us as men, we lose some of that play. We lose some of that, that camaraderie and brotherhood that we had when we were younger because we're, we're put in boxes. We have our own families to take care of, whatever the reason is. So Sacred Sons is a way to bring that back. And so we do weekend, retre we do weekend retreats. We have online courses. We have an online program called The Brothership where guys get on and we have like a daily uh, video conference. And we, we, we have like yoga, kundalini, uh, primal movements, kettlebell workouts. We have like all these different types of offerings within our membership. And we also have men's council and what that looks like. And, you know, just, just man to man, you and I, we all have our shadows. Mm. We all have our demons. We all have things that we can work on. And so this is sacred sons is a place where we can bring that and we can work on it. We can be seen in it and we can be supported in it. It's, it's powerful. Um, and it's also paying back, you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, I think sometimes we forget that when you have, abilities within yourself and you have knowledge uh within yourself that you know you gotta pay it forward i think is the proper phrase but pay it forward pay it back um and also what you're doing is not only helping the now but it's hopefully going to affect the future you know you said it you said it so the word that i use is service hmm. like this is my service to the world to the men who need it, to the women in those men's lives, right? This is, this is my way of, of giving back. And I have two sons. Mm -hmm. I literally, I have a, I have a five-year-old and I have a two-month-old. And so my experience of transitioning into fatherhood has really, has really made me reflect. And it's made me go, yeah, I do have something to offer. And I do have uh, a certain presence that I can utilize to help other men. To, to help other people on their journeys. And so that's my service to the world. And ultimately I'm doing it because I want my sons to exist in a world where 
men can uh, not only show their emotions, you know, be vulnerable, but where men and women uh, see each other as equals, um, equals might not be the word I want to use, but like where men and women can see each other eye to eye. And I want my sons to grow up in a, in a world with brotherhood, with uncles, with a place that they can go when needed. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's important also that this, that, um, Sacred Sons is going on because you think about, um, you know, we have so much new technology, which is amazing. It's great. Mm. Um, the things we can do, like what we're doing right now, it's amazing. But it's incredible. But the problem that can happen is the distance and the uh, abandonment that can happen for people can actually become worse and worse and worse and worse. Right. So if we're not utilizing these tools of social media to get together in real life, then we're not using them effectively. Mm-hmm. So social media can actually become more isolating. If you look at the numbers of depression, if you look at the numbers of male suicide, if you look at the numbers of suicide in, in teenage girls, everything has gone up with the rise of social media. You know, So what we're doing is acknowledging these tools as tools, but they're not the end in themselves. We use the, our platform on Instagram, for example, to get men connected either virtually, like how we're talking now, or in person. We're doing, we're doing men's retreats every month in different states. Uh, we, we do plan on coming to uh, Australia. There's some brothers in Australia. I'll give a shout out to my man, Tim Morrison. He's doing some amazing work out of Perth. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so we're really, we're building these communities all over the world and really doing it so that we can get connected again. Mm. Because that's what's, that's what's missing. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just about that connection. It is. It's important that, you know, in many ways we've lost it. Um, and then, you know, it leads me to, you know, the first thing, everyone listening, um, I think it's important. I'm going to put a link on the website under the embedded uh, part player so everyone can know how to get there. But for everyone listening, if they want to source it out and look for themselves, how are they going to find it? Yeah, um, sacredsons.com. On Instagram, it's at sacredsons. Uh, Facebook, we also have a Sacred Sons private group. And, you know, if you have questions about it, you can hit me up. Uh, I'm at Adam three underscores Jackson. You can just type Adam Jackson, I'll pop up at the top. But, um, you know, for anyone who's interested, or even for anyone who has resistance, I would say go take a look mm. because. Listen, as, as a man on this planet, I can look you in your eyes, even through this screen, and I know that you've had some experiences that have been trying, mm-hmm. that have pushed you to your edge. I have no idea about your situation whatsoever, but I just know man-to-man that you've been through some shit. Mm. I know that there's not a lot of spaces for people to hold you in that, to see you in that, and to like support you through what you're going through. I've personally been through a, a, a separation, a divorce. I co-parent like these are heavy, heavy experiences that without community, without support are very difficult to, um, to ma- not to manage, but to navigate, you know what I mean? Mm. And so, so I'm a believer, you know, I've, I've, uh, 
I've, I've, like I said, I've sat in different types of circles and different communities. And there's something that happens when, when men come together um, and support each other in this way that just, it just like resonates with me as a human being. And I've become a better person because of it. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's amazing. Um, needed essential. Um, and there's not a lot of it. So, you know, everyone listening, as you said, you know, scope it out, have a look. Yeah. And, and just, just for, uh, since we're talking about the old days, like I had this brother, Jonathan come out to Joshua tree, uh, where one of our uh, weekend events were is called an EMX embodied masculine experience. And this brother, Jonathan, he's all tattooed up and he's like, he's like, you're the singer from 12 tribes. I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, uh, he's like, I play with the guys from botch. Yeah. You, you know the band Botch. He's like he's coming from from Washington State. He's like, yeah, I'm in a band right now with the guys from Botch, and like, so we we got to really connect around hardcore music and the scenes that we both came from. And it's like it's all still there. Hmm. It's all still there. Like, and what I said about making uh, men's work cool uh, for me, it's like uh, whatever resistance, whatever stories you would have about what it feels like to to circle up with thirty guys, maybe that that are strangers. Maybe that maybe that brings up some resistance or like. I don't know if I'd be into that, man. When, when a brother comes out and he's, you know, we come from the same scene and we get to reflect on that stuff. That's big medicine right there. Mm -hmm. Like just having a, a new homie to like go back through and, and talk about our lives from a place. And I really believe this, like the hardcore scene, if you were in the hardcore scene in the, in the nineties and early two thousands, there was something so beautiful about it that it, it's really hard to describe to people who weren't in that scene. And so to connect on that level uh, with brothers has been really powerful as well. So any, any fans of hardcore music in the scene that are out there who are also seeking men's work, Sacred Sons is the place for that to happen. Yeah, definitely, brother. Um, now, last thing I want to do before I let you go, because um, I'll be reminisced with all the chaos that's going on to not yeah. talk to you about some of this chaos. Um, what do you think about what's going on? I mean, it's, I'm, I'm mind blown that there is a lot of different things going on. Obviously the health and people's health is one thing, but the way people are acting at their stores and supermarkets has blown my mind. Then the other thing where people's mental health is just being blown out as well. Um, it's a shitstorm, is an understatement. Um, what do you, what do you, what do you have to say about everything that's going on? There's no real way I can even ask a question on it, but you know what I mean. But I understand you. Mm. I completely understand you because this is a chaotic time, um, and for me, the focus is that chaos breeds beauty, and that's that's where my my head is at, at with it. I I feel like we're going to come out of the situation better better as human beings, better as stewards of this earth. Um, but here's what's not working. The media mm. has effectively uh, been the catalyst for the shitstorm. The media is not doing us as human beings any service by the way that they're perpetrating fear. Fear is what's taking over more than any virus right now, more than any flu. Fear is the real pandemic. And actually, when I wrote Midwest Pandemic, I was writing it from a place of the lethargy and the fear and the laziness that I was and the and the just the the lack of willingness to create your own life. 
I, I was saying it in a way that that is going to be the pandemic. We're going to become fucking zombies on this planet because people don't have purpose in this life. That's what I was writing about. That's where it was coming from, even though it's, you know, even though it's very uh, conceptual. Mm. And so what I'm saying now is that, like, yes, we need to do the right things. I understand, I understand portions of the self-sourcing of, of the quarantine. And at the same time, we cannot, as a people, succumb to fear. We cannot, as a people, use this term social distancing and have that part of our lexicon. Mm. That cannot be the case because connection is what human beings thrive on. We're social creatures. And the more separateness that, that happens, the more opportunity for, for let's just say, powers. Because I, you know, I, I don't believe this was created to, to do something specific, but the more opportunity there is for um, the, the new world order to take hold, the more likely that is to happen. And so maybe this truly was a virus that came out of China and it happened just like they said it did. I personally am not so sure of that. I just don't know. But the reality is what we do with it as human beings, like we cannot succumb to the fear. We have to transmute that fear back into love. Otherwise, we're truly lost. Yeah, well, I couldn't have said it better. Everything perfect. Like, yeah, I agree with everything, um, especially the... You know, everyone listening, I don't watch the news. I don't like to watch news because I don't need to watch a square box put fear and worry into me. So turn off the news um, and don't look at it on your phone, the news. Um, yeah, and, and can I, could I just share about what, what my specific situation is? Mm. You know, um, Sacred Sons was flying to Maui because we had a facilitator training and an EMX event scheduled to be in Maui. So we're on this really beautiful property. We flew in on Friday the 13th, the same day that the travel bans started happening in North America. So we get here, we're like, fuck, we're out here. We, our families are with us, you know, because we knew we were going to be in Maui for two weeks. So we had all these plans. They were going to stay in an Airbnb. We would go do our men's work. And what happened was everything started to unravel. So we had to cancel our event. But we're like, okay, well, we have this beautiful, huge place in Maui we're on this I'm on, literally on an olive farm in Olinda Maui which is high up with a ocean view it's 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 crazy I'm like in one of the like safest places on earth probably to be right now and so we decided to stay you know we're like all right our families are here we're here we can utilize this time to do work so we just extended our our stay where we are and you know it's 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 interesting because this time has been such a blessing in my life and if I'm present to what is real and what's happening around me, like there's no fear here. Like I'm in a safe place. Our children are safe. We have food, you know, there's, you know, there's a Costco down in Maui as well, which is lined up and people buying all the toilet paper and all the, all the chaos. But in my reality, like this, this time has been a blessing. And so I would encourage anyone out there who's feeling the fear, take a moment, take some deep breaths for yourself and look at your present situation. Are you safe? Have you had more time to spend with your children? Have you had more time to spend with your partners? Have you picked up the phone to call your mom and call your grandma to check in on them? Because this is the time to do it. They want to, they want to know that you're okay. You know, and if you're someone who's okay right now and you can turn that shit off, turn the news off, like reach out and be a beacon of light at this time because that is what the world demands of us. 
if we're gonna if we're not gonna be consumed by the fear um, that that the powers to be are imposing, we got to turn to love. That's just that's just where I'm at with it. So I feel extremely blessed to be in a situation and in a position, and with Sacred Sons to be a lighthouse and to be able to broadcast this message of love and connection at a time where the mainstream is promoting isolation and distancing. Oh, yes. Um, next level conversation, by the way. Um, just, <laughs> hey, man, I'm always down for this. This is a great, this is fun for me. Hey, I love it. Um, <laughs> like, yes. Um, now, everyone listening knows what we do at the end of a conversation, and it's just lighten the mood a bit. Not that it wasn't light anyway, but basically it's giving you, it, we're calling it Pick Your Poison, and it's a fun segment. What I do is I want to know what makes you tick if I was going to spend a day with you. Like I'm going to find some activities uh, for me and Adam to hang out and do. And like, what am I going to eat with you? So I give you two options and you say your favorite of the two. Now, you don't have to justify your answer. And some are going to be easy. Some are going to be hard. But let me let me put it this way. Some people it breaks. Some people they break. Okay, I don't think you're going to break. You'll be fine. Um, I'm ready. Okay. Pizza or burger? Burger. Okay. Risotto or pasta? Pasta. Okay. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Depends on the situation. I'm going to go with smooth. Okay. Soft taco or crunchy taco? Crunchy taco all day. Uh, a coffee or a Love tea? the crunch. Co- coffee or tea, coffee, man? Cold brew. Cold Literally brew? Literally just got off my cold brew coffee. Yeah, man. Nice. Uh, cook at home or dine out? Cook at home. Okay. Uh, rather spend the day at the beach or the snow? I know what this answer is going to be. Beach? Yeah. I moved was... to California for a reason. Um, cat or dog? Neither. Can I say neither? You can. You're not. You're not a pet person. Up? No, no. So I have an I have a an allergy to cats, and when I was five years old, I was bit in the face uh, under my right eye by a dog, and I I had like developed a an aversion to to dogs. Now saying that, I've also it, I've also had a pit bull in my life, so I've I've come back around a dog. So. Ooh, but I also I also have lion energy. I'm going with cats. Big cats. <laughs> Lions. Lions. Uh, lion. Yes, exactly. Gotta um, go with the big cats. Okay. We'll go into a couple of uh we've got a couple of movie ones, then music ones, and then we'll wrap them up. Um Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars all day. Okay. South Park or Simpsons? If if I was to to rate it from my life experience, I have to go with The Simpsons. Oh my God, The mm-hmm. Simpsons had such an impact on me for so long, for it's, so long. It's OG, man. It's OG. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how about Ren and Stimpy? I would even say Ren and Stimpy back in the day. Oh, I, my <laughs> wife and I were talking about it a couple of weeks ago. I don't know how. I think we saw a clip of an old Ren and Stimpy uh, episode and was saying that. I don't know how my parents let me watch it. Like, <laughs> it was messed right? up, man. It was so it was pushing the edges of of everything through a cartoon. 
Yeah, I the episode <laughs> I watched had had pubic hair and a soap bar, and it was just like I was like, oh <laughs> god, like my parents just mustn't have given a shit what I was watching. Um, all right, couple of music ones: uh, Metallica or Megadeth? I got to go Metallica. Um, Marilyn Manson or Rob Zombie? Rob Zombie, come on. Converge or Dillinger Escape Plan? Okay, it's Converge. Can I? I know you don't want justification. Hey, no, I'm, but I'm I want to give a, I want to give happy a shout out to Jacob Bannon for uh, his artist for his artistic expression and his impact on the hardcore scene as a whole. I don't think there's another person within the scene that has had such an impact through not only not only the artwork but the vibe. Mm. I feel like Jacob Bannon created the vibe of a culture and I have so much respect for how he brought that through. Andy's artworks just. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and, and his vocals are at the bottom of my list, by the way, in terms of influence, his, his vocals are just like, it, it, it didn't get it. The lyrics through the roof. I love it. Mm-hmm. The actual vocals. It's a lot of barking. Well, it, it's something that, you <laughs> with know, respect, no, no, I know exactly what you mean. You know, I, I know some people that say they love one vocalist, but they hate another. Um, and then you listen to people that don't like metal. They think it all just sounds like insanity. Like my wife yeah. says, you just, they all sound the same. So, you know, not every vocalist Man, is for I'm, everyone. I'm a, I'm a student of hardcore vocalists and, and I love Jake Bannon's, like what he brought through, but he's just not at the top of my <clears throat> like vocal performances. Mm. Now, we've got a couple left. Um, when playing a show back in the day, did you prefer stage dives going on or mic grabs going on? Ah, stage dives. Nice. Um, I would love, dude, anytime someone got on stage to stage, stage dive, I thought it was the coolest thing. And uh, my guitar player, Andy, and I, when we were playing these European shows, especially with uh, like Every Time I Die brings the stage dives like no other band when we were on tour with those guys. And kids would run up on stage and we'd stage dive during every time I die set, like the best um, in terms of if me as an audience member, I want, I want the mic. Well, I was like, going to uh, say when I, would, when, when I go see earth crisis, I want to sing along with Carl. I was going to say as a attendance of a show, you're going to go. Yeah. Mike, Mike grab. Are you going to watch it from the pit or from the sound desk? From the pit. Way. And from and I'm I'm getting up front because if I'm going to see a band I like, I know their lyrics and I want to scream them so that the guy on stage hears me screaming them and he knows that I fucking love his shit. So you're gonna ride the barrier. That's that's I'm gonna I'm gonna ride the barrier. And I did it for man, so many bands back in the day. The ones I mentioned, but also like Ignite. Um oh, do you remember like um uh, like Shelter, man? Going to yes, see Shelter or like Shelter. Just, I mean, so many bands where, where I would just, I want to get up to the front because I'm, I'm going to be one of the guys singing along the loudest. I love it. Um, now, last one. I'm going to give you your all-time favorite album. Uh, do you want it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Huh. Well, vinyl. I would love to have a 12-inch of my favorite album. Mm. Bang. Yeah. Um, we have basically smash that out of the atmosphere um adam that is um you know first thing i'm gonna say we went a bit over time so i appreciate 
Um, we kept going. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no worries. Um, second thing I got to say again, uh, a lot of love, a lot of respect, and a lot of appreciation for you, and also for the conversation. Um, and thirdly, wow, thank you. <laughs> like really received. Thank you. Like, I received that, brother. And I, 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 if you don't mind, I want to reflect. I uh, appreciate what you're doing and telling these stories uh, from a hardcore scene from a time that I hold so near and dear to my heart and for the persistence, you know, one thing I uh, respect in my life is passion. And if I see someone is passionate about something, I can get in on it just, just from the energy of their passion. So I feel your passion for doing this and for sharing these stories of such like a, such a, a special time. Thank you. Um, thank you for doing what you do. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, much love.
So that was my chat with Adam of 12 Tribes. And at the end there, you heard the band's track Venix Complex, which is from the release called The Rebirth of Tragedy. And the last two tracks you heard are called Muzzle Order and History Versus the Pavement. Both of those come off the band's album Midwest Pandemic. Now, if you enjoyed the conversation, if you enjoyed the music at the end there, make sure you spend some time this week and jump online and have a listen. If you're into physicals, I'm sure you might be able to find something on eBay, so also do that. Jump on there and get into that. Also, if you're interested in what Adam does nowadays, which is called Sacred Sons, we've put a link in our website. Make sure you click in there and delve into that also. Now's the moment that I can't forget to also thank Adam again. Thank you so very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated, dude. Look forward to touching base with you again soon. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 117 done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that We need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.